Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Listen Saturday afternoons at 1 p.m. on Faith Radio. Welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. I'm so uh, looking forward to this hour in particular because I get to talk to my friend, Dr. Randy Newman. He's written a brand new book called Mere Evangelism, 10 Insights from C.S. Lewis to Help Share Your Faith. Of course, Randy's been on the show a number of times. He's a senior fellow for evangelism and apologetics at the C.S. Lewis Institute in the Washington, D.C. area. He's also taught at numerous theological seminaries and colleges and has written a whole bunch of books an article is about evangelism, and he also served for over 30 years with Campus Crusade for Christ. He established Connection Points, a ministry to help Christians in, uh, engage people's hearts the way Jesus did. And, of course, evangelism is an extraordinary task. It, it is what God uses to bring people from death to life, and it's always been challenging. So his book is going to give us 10 insights from Lewis to help you share your faith. And we're going to learn about uh, Randy's book from him himself this whole hour. Randy, welcome. Oh, it's great to be with you again. Thanks. Do you know that I watched your I Found Shalom video twice today? Did you not understand it the first time? No, no, I'm a slow learner. (laughs) But uh, (laughs) the second time I went through it, I thought, this is so good. You know, stories oh. stories of conversion, and I know you love this, is so, they are so compelling when they're told well. Mm. Yeah, that's a great project, that whole I Found Shalom. They, they did, I think, a really great job of interviewing people. Um, you know, something that, that interview, that whole process took two hours, and then they whittled it down to five minutes. Uh, it's amazing. Yeah, so, no, and I, uh, I, I do recommend. a whole bunch of them. Yeah, there are so many great... Um, testimonies on that i found shalom.com and mm-hmm. uh, mitch glazer is a regular on the show and tom berkowitz is a regular on the show and is marty gets on that too i i i think yeah so. i think he's on there but, as well but, anyway so. they're incredible testimonies but i want to get back to the book mere evangelism i know it's a little bit of a play on words for mere christianity i would imagine mm-hmm. sure which yeah. i love which i love and uh, your insights to Lewis and your applications of some of his thinking is brilliant in this book, and I so I've enjoyed reading it. But let's just go and talk a little bit about um, what what draws you to his work. I mean, I know it's kind of a dumb question because he's so brilliant. Well, um, in in one way or another, I've been reading C.S. Lewis for over forty years. I mean, he was the one that when I read Mere Christianity, that was what God used to bring me over the line from unbelief to belief. And, and so then I, I just, I've been captivated by him ever since, and I've tried to read as much as I can. Um, and as I got into doing evangelism and writing about evangelism and teaching about evangelism, I kept coming back to the fact that we need to do a really good job of pre-evangelism, mm-hmm. talking about things that pave the way for a good gospel conversation, and I think Lewis just did that better than anybody, and, and more than anybody, and he understood the need for doing that. So that's, um, 
I, I did all the, a whole lot of training in evangelism, and, and the topic of pre-evangelism would come up all the time. And I, would, I, I kept thinking, but well, somebody really needs to write a book on pre-evangelism. And I was sharing this idea with someone at, a, at the Good Book Company, the publisher. I said, it sure seems to me that C.S. Lewis did such a great job of it. We should analyze him and look at what he did. And that's how the book got uh, born, I think. Yeah. So the minute they said yes, you thought, oh, I got work to do now. <laughs> well, I was thrilled about it. I, 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 it was kind of a strange conversation because I thought, well, surely somebody has already done this. Um, and in fact, when I threw out the idea of the title Mere Evangelism, I was half joking because I thought, well, surely somebody's written about this. And uh, Tim Thornborough, who's at the Good Book Company, he had his laptop computer right there, and he said, oh, wait, hang on, let's, huh. let's see. And he pops it open, and he starts searching and searching, and no, there wasn't a book or, or things on mere evangelism. So we snagged it. We grabbed the title, and here we go. I love it. So, Randy, maybe you would talk about pre-evangelism and evangelism. How are they different? How are they alike? And how do they fit together? Yeah, that's that's really really crucial um, that we that we keep them that we understand them and see how they fit together. So, um, evangelism is a very precise kind of narrow activity. It's the verbal proclaiming of the gospel message, a very precise message that God sent His Son to die for sinners so that people can repent and be saved. And so that's evangelism. That's sharing the gospel. But there's a whole bunch of other stuff we can do before and around that task of evangelism that paves the way for it or makes it plausible or makes it more fitting with what people already believe. And so pre-evangelism is talking about your testimony or evidence for the existence of God or reasons why we should consider these things to be true or why we believe the Bible is the Word of God. And, you know, there's all sorts of apologetics things, but there, but there's even going back even further, and this is where Lewis started his radio broadcast that later became Mere Christianity. He started with, how do we know about right and wrong? Isn't, isn't there something innate inside us where that, that tells us, hey, you, you shouldn't take that, that was mine, or hey, I was sitting there first. And so there's an innate sense built into us. Now, we as Christians think it's because it's the image of God that we're created in, and that God has placed eternity in our hearts, and that he has placed uh, a conscience in us. Um, but, but it's those kinds of discussions that Lewis was so good at doing that I think we need to do more of. Randy, when you say God has placed eternity in our hearts, is that like a, a divine plan? Because when I think of the word eternity, I think, well, if you die apart from Christ, that's also going to be your eternity. Well, sure. Now, th that phrase, you know, comes from the book of Ecclesiastes. Mm -hmm. 311, uh, is, isn't it? Uh, <laughs> I'm not trying to be uh, 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 so super specific, but I was just reading that recently, and I think yeah. I think it's in the third chapter. Um. I don't know. Yeah, no problem. Um, during the break, I could look it up. But, but it, so it's a poetic way of saying, because Ecclesiastes is a poetic book, it's a poetic way of saying that there's something God has placed in us of a longing for more than just this life, a longing for more than just the amount of righteousness we can generate on our own. We're always looking for more. And 
So that's the biblical basis. The way Lewis said it was we have all these disappointments in life, and we could either respond to them going after more and more and more like a hedonist or, or just shrugging our shoulders and being a cynic and go, yeah, that's, you, you know, you shouldn't bother wasting your time. Or Lewis said that the Christian way of dealing with those disappointments was if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is I was made for another world. And so that's what I think is part of the thinking of, of the writer of Ecclesiastes, that there's something placed inside of us that's, that's longing for eternity, holiness, goodness, um, pure love. Uh, all of those things that we can only find in God, we try to find them in other things, and we're always disappointed because those other things can't fulfill. They can only be pointers. Randy, is, is pre-evangelism a skill, and can I learn it? Yes and yes. Okay, good. <laughs> um, next question. No, no I, I suppose you want more than that. Um, uh, yes, I think it is a skill. Um, first of all, it takes. I, I think. I think it just takes a little bit of thought of okay, what what is pre-evangelism? And again, that's what I try to go into the book. And what are those kinds of discussions? And then I think a big part of that skill is being a good conversationalist, of asking questions, of listening carefully, looking for clues in what people already do believe that we can agree with and point them as to where those things can take them if they keep pushing it a little bit. Um, I, I, maybe we talked about this another time we were on the show, but but people that I know who have studied improvisation and improv theater, they make a whole big deal about the idea of yes and. Mm -hmm. And um, there, there, there are very important times when we need to say, no, that's wrong, and it's no, but here's the truth, yes. But there's a whole lot of times when we can say, yes, and... And so they, they, they say things like, you know, people, people should treat each other with respect. Yes, I agree. And there's a really deep reason for that, and that's because all people are created in the image of God. Or people say, you know, there's just times that I do things, and I, I just feel so ashamed. I do things that I just think that I just would never do something like that. Yes, and... That's because we all have this, this sense of right and wrong, and all of us fail to live up to it. Um, so it's finding and listening and latching on to things that people say and they already acknowledge as true that we can build on and point them to the greatest truth, the truth of the gospel. Yeah, I love in your book, Randy, you, you talk about asking if people can recall specific things that were said to them that challenged their assumptions. Do you remember reading something that sparked your wonder about a world that's better than this current version of the world? I mean, you've got all these ideas about a song or a story or a movie or something that, that can stimulate where the conversation can can take you to places where you can then go to something deeper. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, for me, um, at, uh, toward the end of high school and the first couple of years in the university, uh, I really got into um, absurd humor. You, that that, that <laughs> may surprise you. you. <laughs> um, 
No, I mean, I, I watched a whole lot of Woody Allen movies, and I read a bunch of Kurt Vonnegut novels. And, you know, they're funny, and they they start out funny, but, but there's a sting in right. them after a while of, oh, if you just keep making fun of everything, then nothing is sacred, nothing is important, nothing is worthwhile, and it's an amazing emptiness. So um, I thought, for some reason, that I was going to find a fulfillment in music. And I went to lots and lots of concerts at the Philadelphia Academy of Music and listened to beautiful music. And I, I thought, someday I'm going to hear the piece of music that is just going to transport me in some sort of transcend, transcendent, salvific way. And it, and it never happened, because the music was always great, but disappointing, mm-hmm. or, or even if it's wonderful, it, it comes to an end. You know, the, the best symphony, it ends, and then you have to walk outside the concert <laughs> hall, and it's noisy, and there's traffic, and cars honking. And so for me, it was, why is it that, that I can't find that piece of music? And Lewis was just the one who said, we're all looking for it somewhere. Some of us look for it in something like a piece of music. For Lewis, it was in story and mythology and literature. But but when he put, you know, a, a label on it of calling a disappointment and a pointer to another world, I thought, oh, that's it. That's exactly right. Um, and then reading the Gospel of Matthew and seeing it wasn't, wasn't just that I was longing for another world, but my sin had separated me from that world and I needed a savior. I, so I didn't just need a piece of music. I needed... A savior. Yeah. Let me take a little break. We're talking to Dr. Randy Newman. His new book is Mere Evangelism, 10 Insights from C.S. Lewis to help you share your faith. We'll be right back. We want to pray for you. We all need prayer. We would love to pray for you. The Faith Radio team is serious about prayer, and we pray for specific listener requests Every week, share your prayer request with us anonymously and securely on our website at myfaithradio.com. I'm back with Dr. Randy Newman. His book is Mere Evangelism, 10 Insights from C.S. Lewis to Help Share Your Faith. I encourage you to get over to Amazon.com. And definitely uh, check it out. You can probably read the first chapter for free. I always recommend you doing that and see if you like it. And then and then uh, consider making it a purchase because it is a great book. I've been uh, pouring through it, Randy. It's great. I love uh, what well, you talked about um, how to look for clues because I think that's really important. Uh, and following C.S. Lewis's example means we can unlock conversations that might otherwise lead nowhere or never happen at all. That's a sentence that just jumped off the page at me. <laughs> um, uh, good. I'm, I'm glad I'm encouraged to hear that. Um, <laughs> um, I think that uh, I, I think a whole lot of non-Christians in our world assume that a conversation with a Christian is going to have a whole lot of no in it. No, you can't do that. No, that's wrong. No, here's why that's wrong. And uh, Lewis had a whole lot of yes in in the flavor of his Narnia books and uh, other nonfiction books, uh, even in the Screwtape Letters. A non-Christian could read that 
and 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 laugh at themselves in a sense of oh yes I do that oh yes I yes I'm te- that's yes that's what it feels like to be tempted to do things that you know are deadly and wrong so um so I think there's this this uh, I was trying to push in the book of looking for clues that people find in their daily life that make them wonder about that there's more to life or there's something so beautiful. I I remember one time uh, my wife and I were in, on vacation and it was at a beach and as the sun went down, a whole crowd of people gathered at the shore and they just stood there watching the sunset. And when it finally just dipped below the horizon, people applauded. <laughs> it was just beautiful. Mm-hmm. It was just wonderful. And so I think that that's a clue I want to try to say to somebody, aren't sunsets amazing? Aren't flowers just unnecessarily beautiful? Um, <laughs> doesn't it make you wonder if there's more than just natural forces behind this? It, uh, is, is there a God who loves beauty and loves physical beauty, audible beauty, you know, those kinds of things? One of, one of the things I, I loved that also caught my attention was when you talked about Paul's approach in Acts 14, mm. in, as far as joy-based apologetics, obviously, <laughs> you know, speaking to uh, non-believers, but talking about rain from heaven and crops in their season with plenty of food and hearts filled with joy, versus talking about misery-based apologetics that sound like, aren't you miserable trying to live your life apart from God? Um, I, I love that passage in Acts 14 because be, uh, um, it just reinforces this whole idea. Um, but I, I want to be careful. There is a time, for sure, for misery-based apologetics and saying to Absolutely. people, aren't you miserable apart from Absolutely. God? I mean, especially yes. if they're really messing up their lives. And um, that's what I think Jesus was doing when he talked to the woman at the well in John chapter 4. I mean, she was, he was talking to her about water that makes you, that, that you'd never be thirsty again. Uh, but her life was a mess. And so he was trying to say, you know, you, aren't you miserable? Um, but there are times to say to people, isn't life wonderful? Isn't, it, isn't food delicious? I mean, when Paul says uh, rain from heaven and crops in your season and joy in your heart, he's saying to unsaved kind of crazy pagans. I mean, they were bowing down and worshiping Paul and thought they were gods. I mean, these people were really messed up in their theology, but Paul says, you have joy in your hearts. Now, where do you suppose it comes from? And again, Lewis had this one line in um, Letters to Malcolm. He says, um, our, our, one's mind runs back up the sunbeam to the sun. And so we see things like delicious food or, or, or uh, friendships that are joyful and meaningful and say, where, where does that come from? Why, why, why are there moments in life that are just so good that you want to try to hold on to them and you don't, you don't want to let them escape? And those are pointers or clues that we want to come alongside to people and say, you know, there's 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 real wonderful joy in finding the god who 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 gave that gift to you but by the way there's there's misery if you think that that thing is the god and you start worshiping it so if you think food or the experience or music or art or whatever is the ultimate no it's um oh again lewis said in his in his essay the weight of glory 
um, if you mistake the thing um, in, instead of the one who's sending it, it will break the heart of the worshipers because they become dumb idols. Mm. Uh, and so that's what we want to say to people. These things are great gifts, but they're lousy gods. Yeah, and then, Randy, you say that some people don't feel miserable apart from God, at least not yet. And you, mm-hmm. know, you think of, I sometimes will read an obituary, and it'll say, you know, this person was just the greatest guy, led the greatest life, got a hole in one, and did all this cool stuff, and there was just a complete void of anything spiritual. But now he is, uh, he's, he's off fishing today in that great fishing hole in the sky or whatever. Mm. And I think to myself, these people live their life uh, and see, appear to be quite happy apart from God from what they're telling the world. I don't buy it. Um, well, right. And so that's why sometimes the misery-based approach as the starting point doesn't work. Because you say to someone, well, aren't you miserable? And they go, not, not really. <laughs> and, and, and you say, well, you know, aren't you searching for something more? No, actually, I got this really good job. I got this really good family. I mean, my bank yeah. account is really cooking. Yeah. And so, so, so the starting point for them could be joy-based apologetics. But eventually, we do have to turn that corner and it's a painful corner, but we need to turn it to eternity. And, uh, okay, fishing, fishing is wonderful. Fishing is a delight. Um, you really think that's all there is to life? Is that what you – do you really want to be fishing forever? I mean, for eternity? You think that's um, – you probably have to say it a lot nicer than the way I just said it. I, <laughs> I think I, you're I, right. I, yeah, that was, that, was, that, was a little, that was a little harsh. Sorry. Yeah. Try, try to translate that for your listeners, maybe in the editing process. Um, but um, uh, Lewis, again, his book, Mere Christianity, which was this whole series of radio broadcasts, um, he would turn it to a call to have people repent and realize that we're not going to live in this body, in this life, on this earth forever. There is eternity, and there needs to be a, t- a turning, a repenting, and it's interesting. They, the uh, Mere Christianity w- was a series of radio broadcasts. The first one, they, they thought it was only going to be one series of five or six weeks. And so it kind of wraps up and it's done. And, you know, the response was really good. So they said, hey, we, we should do more of this. Well, there was like several months where it was a break. And then they did another sequence of five or six. And this time, the closing message was, was more pointed and more a call to repent. You need to turn. And and then people responded well again, and there was a, a very long gap then, and they did a third series and a fourth series. The the four series were spread out actually over several years, um, but but you can compare the four different endings where he pushed for a a decision and a and a call. Um, and we need to do that. That's part of the evangelistic process. That's, that is part of the gospel message. The, the gospel message is not just God sent his son and his son died on the cross for sinful people. It also is, and people need to receive him as their Savior and Lord. Otherwise, that death on the cross doesn't apply to them, mm-hmm. which is, which is, which is uh, I mean, th- those, are, those, are, those are terrifying words to think about and to say, but we need to say them. Yeah, Dr. Randy Newman is my guest. His book is Mere Evangelism, 10 Insights from C.S. Lewis to Help You Share Your Faith. If you have any uh, comments or questions, let me know what they are, 877-933-2484. Maybe you heard 
Randy say something you'd like clarification on, send me a text, 877-933-2484. We'll be right back. Thanks for listening to Afternoons with Bill Arnold. I'm Carmen LaBerge. If you enjoy what you're listening to here, consider subscribing to other great faith radio podcasts like mine. Search Mornings with Carmen LaBerge at MyFaithRadio.com or wherever you listen to podcasts and hit subscribe. Back with Dr. Randy Newman, Senior Fellow for Evangelism and Apologetics at the C.S. Lewis Institute. He's also taught at numerous theological seminaries and colleges and has written a whole bunch of books. The one we're talking about today is called Mere Evangelism, 10 Insights from C.S. Lewis to Help Share Your Faith. My first question is, Randy, how do you like my bumper music? Oh, I was going to ask, do you always play jazz like that? Or I, I, that... Of, I often do, but I, I added extra in for you today. Oh, I love it. I absolutely love it. Yes, <laughs> I... Uh... I miss my saxophones. I, I was a music major and I played saxophone, but um, uh, I eventually sold the horns and gave up the music. Sorry to say. Well, you're doing a great job. Yeah, okay. I want to get back to the book Mirror Evangelism, and I know in the book you um, uh, discuss the tension of the good news, bad news nature of the gospel. Now, how can we use that tension um, to point people to Jesus? Yeah. Um, well, people have to feel a tension that the gospel resolves. Otherwise, the gospel doesn't seem like all that relevant or helpful. So, um, so sometimes we, we present the gospel and, and we're afraid of tension or discomfort. We, we don't want the person to feel uncomfortable. So we just... We only stress the good news. Isn't it wonderful? God loves you, and He forgives you. And uh, you know, if you if you trust in Him, He'll be you'll, He'll forgive your sins, and you'll go to heaven, and it's all good, good, good. And the person is just kind of thinking, Yeah, okay, good. So God, yeah, God loves me. I, sure, I I I I can't imagine why He wouldn't. Um, so, um, but Lewis did this. The Scriptures do this. Jesus certainly did this. There has to be a certain sense of okay, God is really, really, really holy, perfect. There's this absolute standard of holiness. I don't live up to that. Um, God is loving, and he offers forgiveness. But, but wait a minute, if, if he's both holy and loving, I mean, if he's, if he's just loving and he forgives me, well, then he's not very holy. But if he's holy, I'm in a lot of trouble. And, and so there has to be a certain sense of tension that people feel, so that then when we say, you know, Jesus' death, it satisfies both God's holiness and his love. Um, there's this sense of, oh, oh, that's really good, because I, I was in a whole lot of trouble otherwise. And so Lewis was good at that. We need to, we need to point that out to people. And I, I think part of it, I mean, we point it out in the scriptures and talk about how God talks about himself as both holy and also loving. But we also try to point it out in, in people's own hearts, which is what I think Paul was doing in Romans 2. He, look at your own hearts. Look at this. Don't, don't you say when people do wrong things, they shouldn't do that. That's wrong. Okay. All right. Yeah. But don't you do the exact same thing? Um, 
So that's that was what I was trying to say there with the good news, bad news tension. Mm-hmm. And then well, it, it's only when people feel like, oh, this is really a problem that we can say it is a problem. It's horrible. But let me tell you, there's a solution. And I think sometimes we're, we're so quick to jump to the solution that people don't really see why they need the solution. Um, so I, I think I, I do think it's important to say to people that God loves them. But I, I'm not so sure that's the best starting point for everybody. And by the way, I, I, I misspoke a minute ago. I, I, it may have sounded like I was saying that we should say to non-Christians, God forgives you. No, I, I don't think we should say that. Uh, God offers forgiveness, and if you if you receive him and receive the payment paid, you will be forgiven, and he will forgive you. But So I, I just wanted to make no, sure I got that. I appreciate that. Lewis obviously cared deeply about reaching lost people, and I think a question that I want to ask myself and everyone listening today is, do you care about lost people? And when you say in the book, uh, where do people around you find joy in their hearts, and how can you help them wonder where that joy comes from? What a great point of entry uh, to have people talk about things that really bring them joy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And how important conversation is, and to sharpen our conversation skills in a way that it will it will help evangelism. Yep, yep. I think um, we, we we all think we're better at conversation than we really are, by the way. <laughs> we, all, we all need improvement in yeah. this. Um, and it's getting more and more difficult. There are quite a few people talking about how conversation is a dying art because we're, we're, we're well, that's, I'll save that for other people. There's a whole bunch of reasons for that. But, but I think if we can become really good listeners, there, but there's also the need for us to pray and ask God to work in our heart. Because when you just asked the question a minute ago, um, you know, do you care about lost people? My first thought was, not enough. I don't, I don't care about them anywhere near the amount that I should. And so I'm regularly asking God to work in my heart um, because I can't manufacture that. I, I think that's what we try to do sometimes. We, we sort of beat ourselves up. You don't really care about people. You should. Look at how much God loves you. Well, yeah, but I think it's more of a supernatural transformation that has to happen. Lord, would you work in my heart? Would you have me be so uh, awestruck about how much you love and care for me that that will change my attitude toward other people? And it it has to be a real inner transformation. You can't just flip a switch and turn that on. Um, I, I do think Lewis had that because he was a very strong fully convinced, kind of arrogant atheist for quite a long time. And when the gospel finally broke through, it was a very, very humbling and and even painful experience for me. He talks about uh, coming to faith as the most reluctant convert in all of England, you know, kicking and screaming and, and looking for an escape hatch. And so I think that he was just so overwhelmed with how much he had been forgiven, um, that it fueled his desire to reach out to people. Mm-hmm. Randy, do you ever find yourself kind of meeting people and kind of putting them in categories? Like, oh, you're one of those people. That might be hard to reach. No, I'm not one of those kind of people. Good. I'm really <laughs> no, glad to know good. that. But <laughs> um, <laughs> I think people are, are sometimes quick to categorize people and think, well, they're they're um, they're in this 
they're doing yeah. this and they're going to be really hard to reach for Christ. So that'd be a real struggle for me. Yeah. Um, well, I, I do struggle with that. Um, <laughs> okay, there is, um, there is a, there is something wonderful though, that's, that's kind of liberating of, um, asking God to work in you and, and open up your ears to get to know this person and to, to try to find out all the complexity of who they are. Cause, cause we are all rather complex. Um, I mean, if, if someone just pigeonholed me and said, Oh, he's a Christian. Well, yes, but boy, there's a whole lot of variety within that, and there's a whole lot of stuff. And did you know that I like both jazz and classical music and this and that? So if I'm this rather complex person, um, then everybody I meet is. Um, again, since we're quoting C.S. Lewis so much, toward the end of his – it's an essay, but it was really a sermon, The Weight of Glory. He says something that is just so powerful. He said, there are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Mm. And, and every single person, because they're created in the image of God, has so much wonderful things about them that you want to get to know them. Now, that, that doesn't mean that, that, that if they're not a Christian, they're not lost. They are lost. That, that makes it more complex and more painful. Um, but so I think asking ourselves, Lord, help me listen so I find out more and more and more about this unique person. Um, you know, it's funny, as we're talking, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be having, uh, getting together this weekend with a friend that I've known for a, a, quite a long time, and he's, he's an atheist, um, he's a brilliant man, brilliant man. And for a very long time, I just thought, oh, yeah, he's that atheist philosopher guy. Yeah. And, you know, we would get together and talk about philosophy and, you know, these arguments. And somewhere in there, I don't know, the, I, the Lord broke through and just had the two of us talking on other levels about books we like to read and food we like to eat. And so we're getting together this weekend, and I'm really looking for, I haven't seen him in a while, and it's, well, let me find out more about him. Let me find out more about uh, how he spends his time and what kind of books he likes to read and those kind of things. So um, I, I think that can help us. And, and by the way, it gives us, it gives us more, <laughs> sorry to talk this way, more data points uh, to connect to and to start seeing those pointers to eternity, pointers to joy and those kinds of things. Absolutely. And I, Randy, I love your illustration in the first part of your book about evangelism as it relates to major league baseball pitchers mm. and how it's often uh, now divided up. You've got your starting pitcher, you've got your setup pitcher, you've got your closer <laughs> and you know, everybody pay, plays a very important role. And yeah. maybe, maybe your job in, in evangelism with this friend of yours, who's an atheist is to come in and pitch the first six innings. I like that. I like that. Um, yeah. Um, again, Lewis said that, that he, he thought he was better equipped for the earlier part of the process. And he even said, you know, that the ideal thing would be to have me come in and do the setup talk about, you know, philosophical ideas mm -hmm. and literature and, and then have somebody else come in who's like the closer and <laughs> close the deal. Yeah. Um, and, and so, yeah, I think we need to look and see how has God gifted us? What, where, where do we tend to gravitate toward? Um, I do know people who, 
they always press for a decision, and, and God uses them in really, really great ways, and they see lots of people cross the line from unbelief to belief. Um, and, and so, you know, they're a closer. Uh, other people are a setup pitcher. Right. Or a, that illustration only works for baseball fans. I get it. But, uh, I get it, but um, I'm a baseball fan, so I liked yeah. it right away. Good, good. Yeah. So I know C.S. Lewis was really a poet. Um, I know he published uh, a lot of poems, and had this really brilliant imagination. Maybe you could talk a little bit on how imagination plays a role in evangelism. Mm. Uh, you know, Lewis really wanted to be primarily a poet, a poetry professor and a poet. And his poetry is good, but uh, he ended up getting teaching positions more about mythology and literature. Um uh, he, he he always had a very, very active imagination since a very, very young child. His earliest memories were imaginative worlds that he and his brother created and imaginative stories that they wrote down. They created talking animal characters for their world. They called it boxing. So he, he just had this very, very active imagination. And he also had this very rigorously trained intellectual mind. And for him, those were not opposites. They, they, they had to flow together. But he would just create pictures. And again, I would say that the two biggest things I have learned from Lewis in evangelism, one is the pre-evangelism, which we've talked about, but the other is painting pictures and giving imagery of what it's like to become a Christian. He didn't just argue the, the truths that you need to believe. He, he painted pictures. So there, there's one line where he says, um, we're not just imperfect people who need to be improved. We're rebels who need to lay down our arms. Mm. And and just just the imagery with that, rebels laying down their arms. I mean, there's a whole lot of emotion in that. And so, you know, we do need to say and teach and share ideas and, and you know, convince people of truths. So we need to say, you need to repent, and here's what repentance means. So all of that is important. But there's something about painting a picture of rebels laying down their arms, or what's, what's another one? He has this whole, I have this whole long list of analogies. Uh, it's like turning your ship full speed astern. Um, and uh, it's like a, 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 a statue becoming a real living person. Uh, there's all these imagery, images that he used. And, and, and imagery was a big part of what led him to faith, because he, he loved mythology and imagery and stories, but he believed that life was cold and dark and pointless and meaningless. And uh, Tolkien and other people challenged him. It was like, why do you love mythology so much if you think life is just so meaningless. And that tension, see, there's that tension again, yeah. for him had to be resolved. There's a line uh, in his book, Surprised by Joy, where he, he realized, he said, um, nearly all that I loved, I believed to be imaginary. Nearly all that I believed to be real, I thought grim and meaningless. Hmm. Wow. <laughs> um, and, and so it was, it was that uh, contradiction you know why? Why are you why are you drawn to such beauty if life is just pointless and meaningless? Wow, that's an amazing point, Dr. Randy Newman's my guest. His book, Mirror Evangelism: Ten Insights from C.S. Lewis to Help Share Your Faith. We'll be right back. 
Faith Radio and Afternoons with Bill podcasts are available because of listener support. If you are a supporter, thank you so much. Becoming a supporter today by visiting MyFaithRadio.com. Dr. Randy Newman, written a book called Mirror Evangelism, 10 Insights from C.S. Lewis to help share your faith. All right, Randy, let's get down to this uh, this difficult discussion of what happens when Christians face opposition, which everybody knows they're going to face. Yeah. Well, um, we all know we're going to face it, all, but, but I, don't, I don't think people really believe that, or we don't really think it's going to happen to us. Um, and if, if, if we've if the people lived in the United States for a very long time, the Christian faith was kind of just sort of tolerated and, you know, was okay. And, you know, we, we haven't faced horrible persecution the way a whole lot of people in the rest of the world have. Um, but Jesus gives us lots and lots and lots of warnings that people are going to hate us. And, and he uses the word hate. <laughs> and, um, uh, you know, blessed are, are you when people uh, say all kinds of evil things against you falsely and persecute you because of me, he said. And we have to look at Jesus and say, okay, so some people loved him, but a whole lot of people hated him, hated him, and, and, and they killed him, and, and they conspired together. I, I, I'm always struck, like, the, there's a place where the Pharisees and the Herodians teamed up together to plan to kill Jesus. The Pharisees and the Herodians, they hated each other. I mean, they, they were arch enemies. The, the Pharisees were religious Jewish leaders, and the Herodians were these horrible pagan Roman oppressors. They hated each other's guts. Hmm. But, but they teamed up together to figure out how they could kill Jesus, because they hated him so much. And so we, we just need to realize, oh, that's, that's probably going to happen. And so we need to prepare for it, and we need to dig deeply on the well of God's grace and love for us so that when people treat us poorly, it doesn't devastate us. Uh, there's a whole lot more involved in that that we need to explore. But, um, you know, we, we, we think that, you know, C.S. Lewis was just such this great guy, and he had this, uh, you know, great teaching gig at Oxford – um, but but he was shunned by his fellow academicians, and he was passed up for promotions many many times, and it was it was like not getting tenure, and not getting the department chair or you know things like that. Even though he was a brilliant scholar, and eventually he left Oxford because Cambridge offered him a better paying and better more prestigious position that Oxford should have extended to him. So he he got a lot of flack from his fellow professors, that he was wasting his time doing this, you know, radio broadcast and writing children's books. Oh, wow. my goodness. Wow. Um, so, so, and, and it was very painful for him. I mean, he, he didn't, uh, you know, he didn't talk about it a great deal, but you, when you, when you read some of the letters and find out about conversations with his brother and close friends, this was very painful. So I, I think there's a big part of our own 
discipleship of preparing ourselves for when, not if, when, when we face opposition or being shunned or uh, being called names, how will we respond? And to to prepare ourselves for it, Mm -hmm. Um, because we're surprised by that far too often. We shouldn't be surprised by it. We shouldn't be numb to it, but we we shouldn't be surprised by it. Yeah. Randy, I know there's a lot of people um, who are struggling just to pray for their non-Christian friends and family. How would you encourage someone who's maybe in that position? Well, prayer is a kind of wrestling. Um, I I think we, we sometimes think of prayer as this very kind of very nice, pleasant, uh, uh, happy experience. Uh, and it is. It, it certainly can be pleasant and happy, but it's also wrestling and struggling. Um, and um, uh, uh, you, know, you think about some of the phrases in Scripture, Colossians 4 tells us to be devoted to prayer. And Jesus told a number of parables so that we would not lose heart and so it must be easy to quit. It must be easy to lose heart. And so I think we need other believers around us to, to help us and encourage us to pray with them and for them to ask us, how are we doing? Are we, are we staying devoted to prayer? And, you know, praying that we will all stay diligent in prayer. Um, Lewis did say a lot of very, very encouraging things about praying for people and praying for non-Christians and I think it was in a letter. He said, um, uh, I have two lists, people for whom I'm praying for their salvation and people for whom I am thanking God for their salvation. And one of the great joys is when I get to transfer them from the first list to the second list. Oh, I love that. <laughs> um, but but we, just, we need to realize that it's a long marathon. It's not a short 100-yard sprint. Um, and, and there are times that we lose heart in prayer, and that, be, that needs to become part of our prayer. Lord, would you help me to be encouraged? I've been praying for this person for 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, and I'm, I'm losing strength. And, and God answers those prayers and gives us perseverance. Mm-hmm. Um, I, think, I think it's it's really important for us to remember that the whole evangelistic process is this 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 blending or this mix of what people do and what God does. And we need to do the best job we can of what we do, but we need to remember that's not the whole process. So mm-hmm. we, you know, we ask questions and we listen and we explain and we quote scripture and we tell our story and, um, and we pray for people. But then we're asking God, would you do the impossible? Would you open up blind eyes and soften hardened hearts? And there's something very encouraging of remembering of, oh, I'm, that's right, I'm not in this alone. It's not just me and this person. Uh, it's God doing what only God can do. Yeah. Randy, I think we have time for maybe one more question, and this is kind of one of the big ones, is how do you know when it's time to call someone to respond to the gospel? They've heard it once, twice, maybe several times, and you think to yourself, I need to ask them, do you want to respond right now to receive Jesus? Well, thank you for saving an easy question for the end, Bill. I, really <laughs> I figured, that. yeah. Um, <laughs> well, um, I don't think we do know, I, okay. I, and I don't think we have to know. I think we can be wrong a whole lot of the times. So I, I think in our minds we need to remember that's a very, very important part of the process. And if, if we're going to make a mistake, I guess we should make a mistake in the direction of 
asking for a response. But but even if we're wrong, so so uh, quite a few times I'll say to people, it's you know, it sounds like you're ready to become a Christian, and oh. there and then and then sometimes people say, well, you know, yeah, in fact, you know, I think I think I actually have become a Christian, like like in the last couple of days, or or they say, yeah, I I I think I am, and then there are other times I and I have said this. In fact, there, there's this one friend I've been in conversation with now for several years, and I've said to him on on at least two occasions. So I I think it sounds like you're ready to become a Christian, and both times he goes, no, not, no, not, no, not yet. Okay, all right. So what's holding you back? And okay, so let's address that. And so, so I don't think. I, <laughs> I sometimes tell people I'm working on this evangelistic app. It'll be on your phone, and it'll tell you exactly where the person is when they're ready, and it'll, it'll like buzz and say, "Okay, now's the time. Start yeah. singing the song." Um, but, but I don't think the app is going to work. Yeah. Um, so I, I do think there's a whole lot of asking the Holy Spirit to guide us and show us, but. Um, we 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 don't have to be 100% sure because I, I just don't know whether we're really capable of that. So we mm. ask questions, and we listen carefully, and we we watch their face, and we see how they respond. Yeah. Let me brag you up a little bit, Randy. Uh, Dr. Joel Woodruff, who's the president of the C.S. Lewis Institute, writes this quote, Randy Newman has pulled off a rare feat. He has written a book on evangelism that is both practical and beautiful. And not that I need to agree with him, but I do agree with him. It's a great book, and you've really done a nice job with this. Oh, thanks so much. That is very, very encouraging. Yeah, I hope, I, hope, I hope listeners check it out. You can go uh, to Amazon.com. It's also at thegoodbook.com, I would imagine. Can you yes. go there as well? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yes. And the, the book is called Mere Evangelism, 10 Insights from C.S. Lewis to Help Share Your Faith. Dr. Randy Newman's been my guest. Randy, thanks so much for doing the show, and have a wonderful rest of the day. Thanks so very, very much. Yep, we'll see you. That wraps up our show for the day. I'm so glad for Guy Talk. Thank you so much, gentlemen, for showing up. And then this hour with Dr. Randy Newman has been wonderful. I've learned a whole bunch, and I hope you check out his book, Mere Evangelism. And I hope you have a great night. I'm looking forward to spending our time with you tomorrow. Have a a great night. I'll see you soon. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.